section 26 of the letters of madame de savigny to her daughter and friends this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain letter 82 paris wednesday may the 1st 1680 i know not what whether you may have in provence but we have had for these weeks past such horrible weather here that several journeys have been delayed by it and mine among the rest the good abbe had liked to have perished in going and coming from la trousse so says monsieur de la trousse you would not have believed me they had an architect with them and went to give orders about some alterations which will make this house which we before thought so beautiful hardly to be known again we have a new moon today, which I hope will bring fine weather with it, and let me set out. I have not yet fixed on what day I shall go. I cannot express the concern this second parting gives me. I must surely be out of my senses to remove so much further from you, and to a place a distance of a hundred leagues more between us than there is already. I have a mortal aversion to business. It takes up so great a portion of our time, and makes us run hither and thither just as it pleases. I shall be so affected when I am setting out, that those who hand me into my carriage may very naturally think it is at parting with them. I am certain I shall not be able to refrain from tears, and yet I must go, if it is only that I may come back again. Mademoiselle de Mary is now in possession of your apartment. The noise of that little door opening and shutting and the circumstance of not finding you there have affected me more than I can express. All my people do their best to serve her. And if I were vain, I could show you a letter I received from her the other day full of thanks for the assistance I have given her. But as I am very modest, you know, I will content myself with placing it in my archives. I have seen Madame de Vin. She is buried in her lawsuits. However, we find time to chat together and express our mutual wonder at the odd medley of good and evil in this world, and the impossibility of being truly happy. You know all that fortune has hitherto done for the Duchess of Fontanges. What she has reserved for her is this. So violent a flux, with some degree of fever, that she is confined to her bed of Maubuisson, and her fine face already begins to swell. The prior of Cabriere does not quit her for an instant. If he effects a cure, he will not make his fortune badly at court. Think whether her situation does not derogate somewhat from her happiness. Here is further room for reflection, but to another subject. Madame de Dreux was liberated from prison yesterday. She was only reprimanded, which is a very slight punishment, and fined 500 livres which should be distributed in arms. This poor lady, 
has been confined a whole year in a room where the light came in only by a small hole at the top, without tidings of anything going on or without comfort. Her mother, who doted on her, who was herself still young and handsome, and who was equally beloved by her daughter, died two months ago of grief at her child's situation. Madame de Dreux was ignorant of this event, and yesterday, when her husband and all the family went with open arms to the place where she was confined to receive her, the first word she spoke on seeing them into her room was, Where is my mother? Why is she not here? Monsieur de Dreux told her that she was waiting for her at home. The poor creature could not, however, enjoy the satisfaction of being at liberty, but was incessantly inquiring what ailed her mother, that she was certain she must be ill, or she would have come to embrace her after so long a separation. At length she got home. What, my mother not here? I do not see her. I do not hear her. She flew upstairs. No one knew what to say to her. All were in tears. She ran into her mother's apartment. She looked about her, called, but received no answer. At length, a Celestine friar, who was her confessor, appeared and told her that she must not hope to see her mother again till they met in heaven, and that she must submit with resignation to the divine will. Upon hearing this, she fainted away, and when she recovered, burst into tears and lamentations which pierced the hearts of all present, crying that it was she who had killed her mother, that she had rather have died in prison than have been set at liberty to know the loss of so excellent a parent. Coulange, who had run to Monsieur de Dreux like many other friends, was witness to the whole of this affecting scene, which he related to us yesterday so naturally and pathetically that Madame de Coulange's eyes looked red, and I wept heartily, being wholly unable to suppress my tears. What think you, my child, of this bitter ingredient thrown into the cup of joy and triumph? to overpower the congratulations and embraces of a whole family and their friends. The poor soul is still in tears, notwithstanding all Monsieur de Richelieu's endeavours to dry them for her. He has indeed done wonders in this affair. I have been insensibly led into this long detail, which you will comprehend better than anyone, and which has affected every heart. It is believed that Monsieur de Luxembourg will be set at liberty upon as easy terms as Madame de Dreux, for some of the judges would have released her without even being reprimanded. And upon the whole, the treatment of the accused persons has been shocking and scandalous, considering that nothing was proved against them. This, however, shows the integrity of the judges. We all approve the discourses of your preacher. We have envied and admired him. The Passion Sermon, which we heard not far from hence, was a most extraordinary one. I assure you the terms of rascal and scoundrel 
were made use of to express the humiliation of our blessed Saviour? Do not these terms convey noble and sublime ideas? But Alou preached like an angel from heaven, both last year and this, for it is the same sermon. What you write me about this world appearing quite another world if we could draw aside the curtain in every family is both well expressed and perfectly true. Good heavens, who can tell whether even the heart of the princess whom we praise so much is thoroughly contented? She has appeared dull these three or four days past, and who knows how things are with her. She would be with child and she is not. Perhaps she wants to see Paris and St. Cloud, and she has not yet seen them. She's extremely affable. She studies to please. Who knows, but this may cost her some uneasiness. Who knows whether she is pleased alike with all the ladies who have the honour of attending upon her. And lastly, who knows, but she may be weary of so retired a life. I have this very moment received your amiable, melancholy letter of the 24th. Believe me, my dear child, it sensibly affects me. I am not yet set out, the bad weather detains me, for it would have been folly to expose myself in such a season. This has unhinged everything. I shall write to you from Paris again on Friday and will tell you about the alterations that are going on. I gave my opinion first, and I'm not so silly as you think when you are in the case. We read in History of Greater Miracles, footnote, Everyone knows that painting and sculpture took their rise from love and that a marshal who fell in love with the painter's daughter became an excellent painter merely by endeavouring to please his mistress, back to main text. We read in history of greater miracles, there are affections which do not yield to the other passion, hence I am become an architect. I admire extremely what you say respecting devotion. Good heavens! How truly may it be said that we are all like tantalus with water close to our lips and unable to drink. Let the heart be cold, the understanding enlightened. It is just the same. I have no need of the dispute between the Jansenists and Molinists to decide this matter. What I feel myself is sufficient. And how can I doubt it if I observe myself an instant? I could talk a long time and with infinite pleasure on this subject if we were together. But you stop short, and I am silent. Corbinelli had his share of your letter, for I am fond of his frank truths. He has just heard a sermon of the Abbe Fléchier's, footnote, Esprit Fléchier made Bishop of Lovois in 1685, and removed from thence to Nîmes in 1687, back to main text. The sermon of the Abbe Fléchier's at the taking of the veil of a young Capuchin nun, which has charmed him. The subject was the freedom of the children of God, 
which he explained in a bold and masterly style. He showed, quote, that this young person alone could be called free because she partook of the freedom of Christ in his saints and she was released from the slavery in which we are held by our passions, that it was she who was free and not we, that she had but one master whereas we had a hundred, and that instead of lamenting for her as we did, with a worldly sorrow which was blamable, we ought to consider, respect, and even envy her, as a person chosen from all eternity to be of the number of the elect. End quote. I have not repeated a tenth part of what he said on this subject, but it was altogether a finished piece. The funeral oration on Madame de Longueville is not to be printed. You ask me why I do not take Corbinelli with me. He is going into Languedoc, loaded with the favours and civilities of Monsieur de Vade, who has accompanied his pension of a hundred and twenty francs with so excellent a seasoning, I mean so many kind and affectionate sentiments, that our friend's philosophy could not withstand it. Vard is always in extremes, and as I am persuaded that he formerly hated him because he used him ill, he now loves him because he uses him well. This is the Italian proverb and its reverse. Footnote Chi offende non perdona. The offender never pardons. Back to main text. I am going there with only the good abbe and a few books, and your idea, which will prove the source of all my pleasure or pain. I assure you it will keep me from staying out in the evening dews. I shall recollect that it would displease you and this will not be the only time you have prevented me from continuing my evening walk and made me return home. I promise to consult you and to follow your advice at all times. Do the same by me. And be under no alarms, rest assured that I will take care of myself. I wish I could put the same confidence in you, but I have many subjects of complaint against you on this score. And without going further than Monaco, have I not the banks of the Rhone, whither you forced the stoutest hearts in your family to accompany you in spite of themselves? I repeat it, in spite of themselves. And be pleased to remember, on the other hand, that I should die with fear even to pass Levaux d'Oriol on foot. Footnote. Levaux d'Oriol, or as it is called in the dialect of that country, Levaux d'Oriol, is a narrow pass by the side of a river about a league in length, running between two steep hills in Provence. Back to main text. This confession of my cowardice is sufficient to prove my apprehensions and ensure your confidence. Let then, my dear child, the remembrance of me govern you in some degree, as yours always governs me. I fancy my son will meet me at Orléans. I am aware of the attentions of Monsieur de Grignon. He has politeness, nobleness, and even affectionate tenderness. But he has some points which are not so agreeable and more difficult to be conceived. And as everything is cut diamond-wise, 
he has many sides which are inimitable, so that we are at once tempted to love and to scold him, to esteem and to blame, to embrace and to beat him. Adieu, my dear child, I must now leave you. Surely you mean to laugh at me when you express your apprehensions lest I should write too much? My lungs are almost as delicate as Georges. Footnote. A celebrated lady shoemaker at Paris. Back to main text. Excuse the comparison. It comes from hence. But for you, my child, let me conjure you not to write. Montgobert, pray do not abandon me, but step in and take the pen from her hand. Letter 83 Paris, Monday, May the 6th, 1680 You observe with great humour that if the human heart is left to itself, it will always find something to comfort itself with, and that its disposition is to be happy. I hope mine will have the same disposition as others, and that time in the air will abate the uneasiness I at present endure. I think you borrowed from me what you say about the passion of separating ourselves from each other. It might be supposed that we thought ourselves too near neighbours, and that after mature deliberation, it had been resolved on both sides to make a voluntary removal of three hundred leagues further asunder. You see, I, in a manner, copy your own letter. The reason is that you have given so an agreeable a turn to my idea that I take pleasure in repeating it. I hope at last the sea will set bounds to our passion and that after having retired each to a certain distance, we shall return back and advance toward each other as fast as we have receded. It is certain that for two persons who seek each other's company and delight in being together, we have had the most singular destiny. Whoever would seek to destroy my faith in Providence would deprive me of my only comfort. And if I thought it was in our own power to settle or unsettle, to do or undo, to will one thing or another, I should never have a moment's peace. The creator of the universe must be with me, the director of every event that happens. And when I look to him as the cause, I blame no one, and submit with humility, though not without an expressible grief of heart. At the same time, I put my trust in him, that he will again bring us together, as he has done before. End of section 26